Welcome back to the Metal Exchange. Justin and Chris here with you for another week. This week we cover a Spock's Beard album, which I have been longing to talk about for some time. But before we get there, Chris, my friend, how are you doing? I'm proud to say that we are the hosts of Andrew Gross's favorite podcast. <laughs> you want to tell us uh, what, what happened yesterday when you were hanging out with him? Yeah, we um, we went to see the Islanders play the Sabres in Buffalo, and we got to meet with Andrew, if uh, you recall, um, not you, obviously, but the audience. He uh, he was a guest on one of our podcasts when we talked about uh, Blue Murder, and we plan on having him on the podcast again. He's the beat writer for the Islanders for Newsday.com and, and the, the physical paper on Long Island, and uh we met up after the games. He's just a super, super nice guy. He introduced us to some of the, you know, production people for the Islanders and uh, just had a really great day. And he kept introducing me as the co-host of uh, his favorite podcast, which made me feel pretty nice. So, uh, like Andrew, we appreciate your uh, your listenership and your friendship. And um, we definitely have plans to pick an album for you to, to listen to in the future and, and come on and talk about. So. I love it. Stay tuned. I I was at the Islander Ranger game on Thursday down here, and um, it got away from you guys early. I'll leave it at that. But, you know, I think that when you're out of the playoffs, I think you take your foot off the gas a little bit, whereas the Rangers are kind of firing on all cylinders right now. To be fair, the season got away from us early, so it's kind (laughs) of like a a metaphor for the, the, the macro. When you start the season with 32 road games, I think that's kind of what happens. So I don't know that it was your fault. The scheduling gods and the, uh, the arena and everything. I don't think it was working in your favor. Yeah. And COVID also caused like a, a issue with the roster in towards the end of last year with like, we were icing a, a pretty much an AHL team. Um, and, uh, and then when the Canadian team started to have COVID, then they, the league decided they were going to start canceling games. So that was nice. But I think it was just a, uh, I, I think it was just not meant to be this year with all the things happening next year. Hopefully, like, COVID will be less of an issue and they'll have a full, like, a normal schedule. Their new arena will be ready. Hopefully, I, I think it's, like, kind of like we talked about with the Rangers and the window closing on the the Lundquist era. Um, I feel like the window is closing on this core's uh, era because we have a, probably one of the worst prospect pools in the league right now. And... Um, so, yeah, welcome back to the Hockey Exchange. Let's, uh, let's talk about some music. <laughs> that sounds good. I'll tell you um, a couple of things this week, which things we've touched upon in the past, but I think they're worth bringing up again. Um, in March, Porcupine Tree had released their newest, or I should say the second single off their album, Closure Continuation. Um, and the song was called Of the New Day. They released a lyric video for it and whatnot. And then all of a sudden, earlier this week, they put out a live uh, in-session studio take of the album, or I should say of the song. I am getting really excited about this album. I, I went back into like the archives, if you will, and I was listening to uh, kind of like some recent Porcupine Street stuff, especially their last album, which I think came out in 2007 at this point, if I'm not mistaken. I know it's been wow. uh, it, it's been some time, but I got to be honest with you, I was it was it was. I guess the, the it was the incident was the album. It came out exact two thousand and yeah, I think it was two thousand and seven, um, two thousand eight, something like that. I don't care for that album at all. But this material is a lot more in line with what I had enjoyed back twenty years ago or whatever. Kind kind of 
around the same time with the Spocksbeard stuff that we'll talk about today, but um, kind of a fitting segue there. But I, I just, it was, it, it was like they needed to take a long 15-year hiatus and then come back and record new material. And it seems like it's kind of breathed some new life into the songwriting and whatnot. So that was a real pleasure to see that studio performance. I'm going to see them at Radio City Music Hall in September. Uh, I cannot wait. I'm looking forward to that show immensely. They are, uh, I wouldn't call them a fun live band because <laughs> there's nothing fun about that band, but they put on a really solid show. So I'm looking forward to that. And uh, another thing Actually, that- Actually, funny side, sidebar. Yeah. I got a text from Caleb the other day and I had recommended that he check out Judicator. I thought it would be a band that he'd enjoy because he's a big Blind Guardian fan. And he was like, oh, my God, this band is so awesome. I'm really enjoying it. He goes, I wasn't feeling really great this week. I probably should have listened to this instead of Porcupine Tree. So well, that's funny. I, I gotta, it's, it's actually funny you mentioned Judicator. Uh, Tyler, a mutual friend of ours who we know from, from Atlanta, and, and I was hanging out with him at 70,000 70, Tons of Metal, uh, he had announced that Adjudicator is playing a live show, I believe, at a festival in 2023 um, up near him in Vancouver. And he was mentioning how he has to go to the festival just because it's finally an opportunity for him to see Judicator. So everything comes full circle at the Metal Exchange, I suppose. Yeah. Um, just uh, to hang on to the discussion about... Um porcupine tree i have to say like with the spock's beard album and the singles that porcupine tree and pure reason pure, pure reason revolution have put out man i'm turning into something of a prog rock head lately so i uh, never guessed i would have never <laughs> i'm really guessed. digging i have to say i'm really digging the pure reason singles that they've been dropping um for their upcoming above cirrus album so yeah. uh, i have to say i'm excited about that I, I was listening to The Dark Third at the gym this morning, and I'll tell you something. There's probably no worse album to listen to at the gym, but when I've listened to it 10,000 times, um, uh, it, it kind of just worked for me. So uh, that that is, I, I promise you, an album we will be talking about because it's one of my top three albums ever, and I've just kind of been waiting and waiting and waiting. But when the time is right, we'll we'll do a deep dive uh, into into them. And, and quite frankly, I'm looking for, forward to the new album as well. So that, that should be good. Um, when we had Toros beyond from Conception, he had mentioned one particular song um, off the State of Deception Deluxe Edition re-release, which I was, you know, which he obviously um, had mentioned, and it came out this past Friday. I was particularly interested in your own lullaby, which was just that it was a, it was a lullaby that he kind of wrote for his daughter from what we understand. Um, what a sick song. This was so perfect. And it was basically like a stripped down version of the band where it was just him on acoustic guitar with Roy Khan singing on the top. Um, what a good song. I just really, really, really not only wish I had the talent to write something like that, but I just enjoyed it. And, you know, having two young girls of my own, I thought it was just really um, appropriate and kind of hit a soft spot for me. Yeah, I haven't got a chance to listen to the song yet, but I did grab um, the tracks that I was missing from the second disc um, because I had been buying the singles as they were released. So, like, I had about half of the second disc. The third disc, I believe, is all instrumental or orchestral versions of the original album and then the second disc is um just a bunch of extra stuff there's uh re-recordings of roll the fire and silent crying which were both from the parallel minds album two new tracks monument in time and like you mentioned your own lullaby and then 
five live tracks of older songs and a original demo of Roll the Fire. And uh, I noticed that um, they had been hinting on their social media, replying to some comments of people asking about the older material being released and, and, and being released on vinyl. And the band was hinting that, that so- something that may be in the work. So um, I was really kind of hoping that these older albums got dropped onto like Spotify before prog power so that maybe some of the people that weren't that familiar with them would have access to those older albums but uh i guess we'll see um but yeah uh i uh, some of these tracks that they uh did live versions of like uh getsemity and uh flow and a virtual love story uh reach out i think these actually are all songs from flow um which is interesting that they chose all tracks from flow for their uh the live selection. So, um, yeah, I'm getting pretty pumped to see these guys live. It, it's, I, I've definitely become a fan and that was my whole goal when we covered their discography. So mission accomplished for sure. Yeah. I, I, I think it, it's going to be uh, a ton of fun and I look forward to it. Uh, but before we get to conception in a couple of weeks, we're going to do, we're going to talk about Spock's beard now. Um, for those that don't know, this is not a metal album. I want to be as clear as day. There are some really heavy elements here, surprisingly heavy elements. Um, but I don't think anybody would confuse uh, the American progressive rock band Spock's Beard as a metal band. Uh, but what you do here, I think, is elements of a lot of progressive metal bands and other bands uh, that we've talked about in the past and, and other bands that you know people enjoy. Um what was your first either – I don't want to say exposure, but like how did you first hear about this band if you even recall? Because they've been around forever and, and obviously they've gone through a, a number of lineup changes over the years and we'll, we'll get into that because um, this was at the heart of the Neil Morse era, which was kind of the first incarnation of the band. Yeah. Um, I mean I, I have to assume that you probably brought them – I mean I think I had heard of them just in passing because they were um, – in like the the mid to late nineties, they were kind of a, a, one of the more well known modern prog rock bands. And I don't know, were they on Magna Carta or one of those labels? I might have remembered seeing them like in one of those little catalog inserts that they put in the liner notes for like a Shadow Gallery album or something. I don't remember who they're, or maybe they. If- I believe they were on Inside Out, if memory serves me correctly. I think that they've been an Inside Out band, or at least were at the at the start of uh, at the start of their their. Yeah, I'm looking at I'm looking at um at Wikipedia, and it looks like Inside Out in Europe and Metal Blade actually in in the states, at least in I these think early that's the newer days. stuff. Yeah, they, I think that's a, a newer thing. But they, I remember them as an Inside Out band, so that would be on a label with. I mean, Inside Out was putting out a ton of stuff. That was your Symphony X and all that stuff. This was obviously on the lighter side of that material, but, um, with, yeah. With- so, so, so like, I remember hearing of them, but then when they were announced to play at Prague power, um, I kind of just listened to like what, what their recent set list was. And, and that kind of included a lot of songs from their most recent album, which at the time was the oblivion particle. Um, but there was a couple other songs that I, I got to kind of get into, um, two of which were on this album. Um, although I think I was pretty familiar with all on a Sunday from you, I think recommending it at, at a point in the past. But um, all I remember is that I had my favorite song was on a perfect day from the self-titled album. Um, but I didn't realize that there was uh, 
that Neil Morse had left the band at that point. And um, this is, I guess, one. this is his second to last album, I believe, that he did with the band. Yeah, so uh, after this album, and just to kind of paint the context, the band started uh, in and around 1992, and they released a series of albums that really got quite a bit of um, positive press and I'm not going to go into too much detail because that, this would be a real deep dive. But they, they they released an album called The Light in 1995 and followed up with Beware of Darkness, both of which in like the prog rock community were like massive, massive hits underground. Uh, they would release The Kindness of Strangers in 1998 and Day for Night in 1999. And it was just – it almost seemed like every year they'd be churning out new material and they really got quite the following um, – both in the prog press, but also just, you know, prog metal fans that I think just appreciated the great songwriting. This album five came out in 2000 and in 2002, it would, they would release, um, snow, which was kind of a three CD concept album, which is a really interesting listen in and of itself. And that would be the end of, you know, the Neil Morse era. And ironically, the, the next vocalist for the band is their longtime drummer, Nick, uh, and I'm going to butcher his name, Nick DeVirgilio, who has been with the band since pretty much, I think, since the beginning. Ultimately, he sang on a number of albums, would leave uh, the, the vocal duties aside and pass it over to Ted Leonard from Enchant, who's been singing with them uh, ever since. And I think they've done some reunion shows with all the uh, all, with, with Neil Morse and stuff like that. But at this point, Ted Ted Leonard, I believe, is still um, sl- like slated as their new singer. And I think if they come out with a new album, I think he's still going to be uh, the guy behind the mic. There you go. Interesting. And I, I didn't realize that um, – I-, I presume that um, – uh, what's his name? Um, Alan Morse is, uh, a- is of relation to Neil Morse, brother. Yeah, brother. yeah. So going into the lineup of, of five, just uh, so you know um, – Alan Morse has been with the band since the very beginning. He plays guitars, does backing vocals, and that is Neil's brother. Uh, longtime bass player Dave Miros also has been with the band uh, pretty much since the beginning of time. Get, uh, keyboard player uh, Ryo Akamuto also with the band. And then obviously uh, the drummer has been in place. It's really just the vocals that have changed, whether it was Neil or Nick or now Ted Leonard. But the, the, the crux of the band has been there for 30 years, which is kind of remarkable, especially uh, in this day and age. Um, I think they all do other things on the side, but for sure, uh, the the core group of them is why I think their sound has remained pretty consistent over time. I think the mixes are always fantastic. I think the songwriting is always top-notch. But the reason I chose this particular album was because it was my first. It was the first Spock's Beard album I ever heard. And I think I have a soft spot in my heart for it just because um, it's a bit of a unique album. It's a long album, but there's only six songs. And it's, it's just kind of a a, a unique uh, look at the band because I think you kind of touch on a little bit of everything on this. There's songs that are heavy. There are like epic, epic, epic tunes. And then there are really short compositions as well, which are kind of like in, out, and on to the next one. So um, what I was curious about is I, I having, I guess, gone into this album with like a deep dive as opposed to just, you know, tracks from a set list or anything like that. What, if anything, jumped out at you that you may not have realized prior to just being somewhat familiar with, with certain songs in their discography? Well, I, I, to, put, to paint broad brushstrokes, um, it, 
the band reminded me of Dream Theater meets the Beatles. Like the, it has like the kind of the melodic and prog elements of of a Dream Theater. Um, I especially, I, I want to say it was the the Great Nothing, which was the last epic twenty seven minute track. There were a lot of parts of that that reminded me of um, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, which actually would come the following year. Um, so Spockspeard actually did the, the song first. Um, but there's also like r- interesting kind of like keyboard uh, type parts and things that remind me a lot of kind of the uh, later era of the Beatles when they were being becoming a little more experimental and a little less bubblegum rock. Um, so, and I guess like, in certain ways, I think the vocals can be a little bit more kind of like rock oriented versus metal oriented. And, um, there's even parts in, um, thoughts part two, where I feel like Neil Morse almost sounds like an emo vocalist, like, like he's singing for like, uh, you know, uh, my chemical romance. So, um, those are some of my broader <laughs> thoughts on the album. I, I wish I could argue with you, but I, I actually agree. And I think that one of the staples of Neil Moore's songwriting is that Beatles influence because you hear it on Spot's Beard. You definitely hear it on Transatlantic and, and the work with um, those, you know, those guys, which is another phenomenal prog rock band. And, and for me, this album came out on August 22nd, 2000. And I think I picked it up like right when it came out because I've been hearing so much positive press about this particular band. Um, it was right around the time I started college. And I remember vividly thinking to myself, this was a departure from a lot of the stuff we had been listening to in high school with the heavy, you know, the speedy elements of power metal or even the prog, you know, the heavy stuff with this, the symphony X and the dream theater, this and porcupine tree, who we mentioned earlier, was kind of the first um, dipping my toe in that prog rock pool. And then right after that, I started listening to Rush and that was like blew everything else. You know, that just, I was, I was, I was in at that point. I was, I was committed and, and I was getting my hands on whatever I could. Um, but this in Porcupine Tree was really the start of my uh, love affair with, with prog rock and, and that stuff. And I think the biggest reason is because this stuff is so accessible. This is not... Uh, and, and that's maybe the Beatles quality to it, right? It's not self-indulgent for the sake of self-indulgent. I felt like every note on this album was meticulously placed and and stood out because it just – the music seemed to call for it or the song seemed to call for it. Whereas, you know, some of the solos on a, you know, on a Dream Theater album, they kind of go out into outer space and then they find their way back to the, to the song itself. Whereas here, I don't, I don't, I don't have that problem. And I think it's very, very easy to listen to. And I think that even fans of, um, you know, either just general rock, you know, the Foo Fighters who we've talked about or stuff like that could, could hear an album like this and appreciate much, if not all of it, as opposed to if you put on, I don't know, Six Degrees of Inner Turbulence, I think that they may get lost in some of that stuff. Yeah, I actually, at some points while listening to this, thought to myself, like, my mom would like this. Yeah, yeah, because of so, those, and probably because of the Beatles elements, I would imagine, because, again, it's it's prog rock, but it's that songwriting, which is just, first of all, unmistakable. It, it, is, it is Neil Moore songwriting, but also because it's basically like a modern-day version of the Beatles from 1969. Yeah, I... Uh... Absolutely agree. Um, I kind of felt that way about um, Blackfield when um, um, what's his name from Porcupine Tree? Um, Steve Wilson. 
Yes, when Steve Wilson kind of did this little side gig with Blackfield, it kind of had um, kind of like this Dark Beatles kind of vibe to it. And I remember oh, yeah. playing it for my mom at the time and her saying, like, yeah, this is actually pretty good. And I was like, wow, that's... Depressing. Uh, Depressing yeah. is all hell, but good. Yeah, so um, this is, I think, a little bit more uh, life-affirming <laughs> and yeah. has a little bit more pep to it. Um, totally. And then, I think- then, again, then again, maybe not. <laughs> well, well, well played. Um, this this album, unlike Porcupine Tree, which was it's like there's a, a yin and a yang there. That stuff makes me depressed, and I think that it has a really good. Uh, I mean, like I said, I'm looking forward to them seeing them live soon again. Um, there, there's definitely a place for that, and there's elements of it here as well. We'll get into that, but there's other songs on here which are just make you feel so good and are so uplifting that you kind of wanna. If you're not singing along, you want it on in the background because the melody makes you feel good. Yeah, I, I mean, hard to argue with any of that. So let's uh, let's get into it. As I mentioned, the six tracks, the opening track and the closing track are two monster epic songs. And then everything in the middle is kind of more a tighter, uh, you know, a little bit more uh, poppy in, in a number of ways. But the, the bookmark tracks are... are very, very interesting for different reasons and, and, and both held in very high esteem, um, not only by fans, but by, you know, writers and everything else. So we'll, we'll get into it at the end of the day. Uh, what are your thoughts on this, you know, 16 minute epic track that just kicks off the album? I, I loved it. Um, I wasn't super familiar with it um, going into it. And, you know, the first like five minutes of the song is kind of like a pretty like run of the mill like what you'd expect kind of prog rock song but then it kind of starts going into solos and like there's like organs and drums and like and then it kind of switches over to you know as a song that's going to be this long tends to do is going to have kind of different parts to it and it starts to get um like a little bit there's like horns and everything and like it's just a really like it's like a ride. It like takes you through this whole like um, this whole like different parts or whatever. And it, it, based on what I've been looking at, like it looks like Spock's beard has a lot of these kind of like multi-part songs that are telling a, a story. And it's almost like kind of watching a an episode of like a TV show where you're just kind of like going through all these different um, plot points. And there's the music is there to kind of go along with it. And um I, I, and then like towards the end of the song, it kind of like goes back to that theme of the beginning of the song, kind of puts a, a bow on the song, so to speak. Um, I like this a lot. Um, it's probably going to be in the contention for my song of the week, but I have not decided yet because I really, in all honesty, I really liked every song just about the same. I, I mean, I really liked all six songs. I, I love it. Um, I'm going to make it my song of the week. Probably because this is like an, a top 10 song for me of all time by any band. Fine. At the end 
I think this is a perfect song. I think the musicianship is top notch and it's on full display here. I think the songwriting was just so meticulously done and the lyrics to this song, and I'm not going to, you know, you can read the lyrics yourself. You can Google it. The lyrics to this song are so good and so uplifting. And it's one of those songs that whenever I put it on, I just start smiling because I just think it's so, uh, so catchy and so, uh, vivid in, in the imagery that they're trying to portray. I, I totally love it. And, and this is one of those songs where I don't think that Neil Morse is the greatest vocalist of all time. I don't think he has a ton of range, but he fits the music so well. And he's just got such an endearing sound to his voice that it, you wouldn't change it. You don't need a quote unquote better singer here. And he does a very admirable job. Um, this track has acoustic guitars, which I'm a sucker for. It has a Mellotron solo. It has these heavy, heavy bass lines that kind of permeate the entire song. Um, and I love the fact that it's actually high in the mix. You can actually hear bass lines on this thing, uh, when, 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 the, when, when it's called for. This is, a seamless 16 and a half minute track that probably feels more like seven or eight minutes. And that is the biggest compliment I can give it, you know, I can give to anything. So I'm going to make it my song of the week. So I have a chance to listen to it yet again. Yeah. I mean, it never drags. It's always interesting. It doesn't meander. It doesn't wank. So, (laughs) I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think it's a, it was definitely, I was thinking about it making my song of the week too. I might pick something else just to keep it different. Um, but I really I like the song a lot, and and uh, like you said, it does it it the sixteen minutes go by in, in a flash. It's a it's a really really fun song, and and I'm kind of kicking myself. Um, I, I I managed to miss their set at Prague Power just because uh, you know I had just watched the two bands prior, and then was going to see the band after, and it was just like a little bit of uh, needed a break, you know, need to find time to eat, and unfortunately they were the the band that. I had to put by the wayside and in retrospect, I feel like it would have been a really, really cool palate cleanser to see a band like this after seeing like Lord and stream of passion and before seeing dragon force. Yeah. What a cool, like just change of pace right in the middle of, of those kind of more power oriented bands. I missed that set because I missed Prague Power that year, um, celebrating the birth of, of my daughter um, who was born a week after Prague Power. I have never seen this band live and I'm kicking myself for it. I, for some reason, I think they played in New York City maybe two or three times since, you know, maybe, maybe four or five times, something like that. But for whatever reason, I always miss it. I had every intention of, of seeing them in Atlanta. Obviously that didn't happen. I have to see them. I would kill to see them with Neil Morse as much as I like the other vocalists. And I like Enchant. I love Ted Leonard's vocals with, with Enchant and some of the other stuff, um, that he's worked on, but, there was something magical about this lineup and I just can only hope that there at some point they do a massive tour with all the vocalists, you know, kind of like what Halloween did. I just think it would be fantastic. Yeah, um, that would be a lot of fun. Do you know about um Neil Morse's current relationship with the band? Because my what I w- was understanding is that he left both Spock's beard and transatlantic because he became like a born again Christian and he felt like he needed to kind of um write music that was like specifically just for him i guess it sounded like it was pretty um amicable but i was just wondering if that was if you know if that's something that he would be open to yeah so it's it's he left he left spock's beard at around 2002 like 2001 2002 
very amicably. Obviously, with his brother being in the band, I'm sure that didn't hurt. But it was really because he was writing a lot of solo material, and it did lean with very Christian. Um, it was a Christian flair to a lot of what he was writing, and, and quite frankly, he's got his his um, volume or body of work is incredible. I, I I have literally everything the man has touched because I think he's one of my favorite songwriters, um, and I've listened to, to basically every song the man has 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 you know penned. He left the band and actually stayed in Transatlantic. It's just that Transatlantic went on hiatus, so oh, okay. it was kind of like a. I mean, for example, Transatlantic is touring right now, and he's he's we, he's with Mike Portnoy, and uh, they're 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 doing their thing, and they they are another band who is just phenomenal. Um, although I do kind of lean towards their first two albums personally, but I I love their material as well. I, I think he would be welcomed back with open arms if he wanted to do it. I just don't know if the desire is there, but that would be a question better served for him and something I would love to ask him if given the chance. Interesting. Yeah. I, I, it's, I'm learning a lot about um, all these bands. Transatlantic's another one of those bands that I really um, need to to listen to. And I'm not super familiar with most of Neil Morse's uh his his band his solo band and and his solo albums i only have a handful of tracks here and there so probably something i need to kind of dig into a bit more and and to my point from earlier i think it's the kind of thing where if you're working you don't need to necessarily be listening with the most intent of ears it's just great music to have on kind of in the background while you're working. It's not going to distract you, but i think that when you do kind of pay attention, things will pop. Not that it wouldn't be great at other times as well but there's just something about it where it's it's just a pleasure to listen to and i think it'll uplifting like i said is the word for me that's how i feel when i listen to his stuff and i listen to it semi-regularly because it's uh it, it is good and it provides a nice change of pace from you know from halloween or from emperor or for any anything else i might be listening to so it's sure. it's it's good uh the the second track here is a track that the rest of the band kind of helped write and that's called revelation I think that after you have a 16 and a half minute epic song to start an album, it needs to come down a little bit. And that's just because you can't keep your foot on the gas for another 15 minutes after that. And that's what this song really does provide. I don't know that it has the same epic feel as the, the track before it, but it still has those big kind of bombastic choruses, which are, which is awesome. And again, the use of the keyboards and the Mellotron here is just phenomenal and i don't know that the keyboard player rio gets the the love that he deserves he does in the prog rock community but outside of that i'm not so so sure but he he adds such a dynamic element to this band and i don't think it's any clearer than it is on revelation there's a lot of like ambient sounds on this particular track which is something i'm a sucker for and I don't want to say it's a bit of a letdown because the track before it is perfect in my eyes, but it's almost a letdown, but it has to be, if that makes sense. It, it couldn't be what the track before it was, and that's why it's a letdown, even though I happen to like this song. Um, really cool bridge. I think that there's a little bit of a darkness on this tune, which makes sense given the title and everything else, and there's an awesome guitar solo at the end. Not my favorite track on the album, but representative. Yeah, I thought it was I thought it was the heaviest track. Um it starts out you don't think it's going to be heavy. It's like, "Oh, we just did 16 and a half minutes of like joyful prog rock like all over the map and now it's like, "All right, we're going to do like a kind of a dreary one." And then it just kind of about like a minute 15 in it just starts to like come in with some like really crunchy guitar 
and um and it slows down again um but i really do enjoy like you said like those those keyboard parts um really kind of uh paint the rest of the song kind of giving it like this this i don't know how to explain it je ne sais quoi perhaps uh (laughs) brian um it's it's just really well done and it kind of like surrounds the rest of the song with this kind of a key or the mellotron parts or whatever um just good stuff and then like that chorus is just like really like aggressive compared to that beginning of the song which almost sounds like um like elevator music to start out and then it just and it's that dichotomy which i think makes the song interesting if it didn't have that i'm not sure it would be as good of a song as it is and again not my favorite but a good song for sure yeah and then it closes out like just like a big heavy like minute long outro like it's almost like a metal song um but it just this whole song just can like but goes back and forth between soft and heavy. Um, I think it was like, like you said, it's like a, the right track to play after uh, that long epic um, song. Uh, I think that like, you know, we talk about song placement. I feel like this album, everything was placed the right way. Totally. And, and the third track is another one of those songs where it goes from soft to heavy. This is the quirkiest of all the songs on the album. And when I first heard this song, I have two thoughts, and I'm not even sure why I think this. But number one, this used to be my favorite song on the album. It's called Thoughts Part Two. I've since kind of moved away from it because it's just – I mean this this is not an uplifting track. I want to be as clear as possible. This is not an uplifting track, but there was some sort of quirkiness to it that I just really gravitated towards. And for some reason, it makes me think of Ryan. And I don't know why. It's funny because I know you saw him yesterday. There's something about this track that re- that reminds me of our friend Ryan. I don't even know why, but for some reason, it does. This is a really beautiful song at the start with the beautiful acoustic guitar. And it's almost almost like a vocal solo at the start. And then all of a sudden, again, choruses that are just so heavy and the contrast between the two is so market- is so 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 uh on point i i've always thought this would be a fantastic live song but i I don't know that they've ever played it live it's just um this is something this this song is a complete trip to me yeah it's um it starts out like it's gonna be like a love song and then it just goes into like this like he does this like nasally like (laughs) i said like a emo kind of like then again maybe not and it sounds like like good charlotte or something just for that one little thing when he's just like you know just like you know up yours then again maybe not like and and then it just kind of goes into like um very kind of proggy kind of instrumentation and i love the um the layered vocals part um i don't know if you would call it like rounds but like um it's just it sounds especially with headphones it sounds really cool Totally. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because I didn't and I should have. That is maybe the number one highlight of the song for me. The, I'll call them rounds. I think that that's a good word for it. That, the use of the different vocal elements here make this track phenomenal. And I think that it adds such a nice layer. It almost, and I don't know if it's done on purpose. This is me hypothesizing. It almost reminds me of some sort of like a mental health issue that this that the song is kind of trying to portray because of like the there's like a manic schizophrenia there that 
just fits so well. And I, again, I could be reading into this, but I think it's just um, a highlight, maybe one of the highlights of the album. Yeah. And the music, I think also represents like represents that kind of mindset too, because it's, it's a lot of back and forth of uh, mellow, aggressive, mellow, aggressive, like violins, then like heavy guitars. Like it's, it's, it's almost, it's almost kind of like this, um, like this mental battle, like this yeah. internal battle that you're hearing played out as as music. Um, it's 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 really cool, and it, it again, it's kind of like the last song where there's a lot of back and forth between heavy and um, heavy and soft. But I think this one I feel like is a little bit more um, more accessible, a little bit more radio friendly, I guess. Yeah, I I agree, and I think that the next track, all of all on a Sunday, is like the perfect single. I think that like as we transition into the fourth track, this is a this this is the Beatles song, right? This is something that you could almost hear on the radio in a sense. Um, I don't know that there's anything in particular about this track that jumps out per se. It's just really catchy. It sticks in your head, and it was one of those things where I found myself singing it in the shower after listening to it so many times a beautiful chorus and I just don't know that you can listen to this song and not smile and it was really refreshing in that regard on a Sunday I woke in the morning but my head said too soon so I slept in till noon in the blink of a memory my consciousness left me and I stayed gone until the sun came to fill Yeah, see, to me, this is the song that this is a song that represents prog rock without the BS. Like, it's just, it's just a good prog rock song. There's no like, like wackiness or weird instrumentation or, or like meandering solos or like, there's no real big like back and forth between um, styles or or heaviness. Like, it's just all the way straight on through like a really just uplifting song. The song is consistent all the way through. It's catchy. It's the shortest song on the album. It probably could have been on the radio. Um, it's a really like, just, it just like you said about the first track, it's just, you feel good listening to it. It's just a nice song. I'll draw a parallel, not because it sounds anything like what I'm about to say, but just in terms of the feel and the straightforwardness of it. Limelight by Rush. That's mm-hmm. what this song is. It's it's one of the, it, it's 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 succinct. It's to the point, and when it's over, you're 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 in a good mood. It's just a really good song, and it's not straight up radio rock per se. Although it could, although obviously Limelight has been on classic rock radio for forty years at this point. But it's there's something about it which just uh, I don't know. It's 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 the musician. It's like. Radio Rock Plus. It has that extra element or layer to it, but without without diverging into roads of like just you know, it's succinct and it's tight and it should and it should be that way. And I think this song serves a purpose on the album, um, which 
you can't say about necessarily everything or on every album that we talk about, but this one definitely serves a purpose. Yeah. It reminds me of like a beautiful day, like not a song called a beautiful day, but literally a beautiful day. Like today it was actually a perfect song because it it is Sunday and it's an absolutely gorgeous day here. It's uh, 70 degrees. The sun's out. Like it's kind of like the perfect song for this moment. So uh, there you go. I like it. Um, the next track is, is the one track on the album, which I don't think is great. Uh, it's called Goodbye to Yesterday. It's a, it's just under five minutes long and it's really the true ballad on the album. Um, something about it just doesn't really click for me. It's kind of a slow starter. I don't know that it's as catchy as the other tunes on the album and it's kind of repetitive and I'm kind of waiting for this payoff that never really comes. I, I don't, want to say it's a filler track but when you have an album that's over 60 minutes i don't know that it needed to be on there i think if they just would have left it off the album itself would have been nearly perfect um you don't need to skip it it's not like it's bad it's just not that great and i don't think it's like the best representation of the band but maybe you'll disagree with me i don't i don't know i i like it i think it's a um kind of reminds me of like a 70s kind of rock ballad um it's it's pretty simple, you know, um, for a band that's not a simplistic, you know, band by any means. I think it's just kind of like this. Um, I feel like it's actually maybe a good song to have right before this last 27 minute track where it's something just kind of quiet and, and mellow and, and ballad ballady um, just to kind of like bring you down a little bit before you, uh, you listen to this like beast of a, of a, of a song that follows. Um, yeah, it's probably my, it was probably my least favorite of the six, even though I kind of pretty much liked all the songs relatively equally. But if I had to pick a least favorite, it would probably be this one. But I, I think that it, um, it fit where like there's songs that are uplifting. There are songs that are not so uplifting. Um, and then th- this one's just kind of like just another kind of type of song on an album that I think has a lot of different elements to it. So I think yeah. this is one one additional element to add to the to the pot. I, I I appreciate that, and I think that given that as kind of a prelude to what's about to come, I, I can be talked into it because I, and not not a bad track. I just don't know that it needed to be there. But if you want to use this as a bridge to the great nothing. I'm on board with that. I think that's actually very well argued, and I, I, I appreciate that. Um, I should note one other thing before we go on, and that's Neil Morse has always had his own label called Radiant Records. So a lot of these albums also kind of came out in conjunction with his own label, and I'd be remiss not to mention that because you can get a lot of cool stuff on the Radiant uh, Records website, which I've done in the past. Um but yeah, the the last song here is a six part epic called "The Great Nothing," and it clocks in at twenty seven minutes. Um, it's funny because at the end of the day was considered by some, and 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 by some I mean there was a two thousand and eighteen history of the band that was covered by Classic Rock History website. I guess they they thought that at the end of the day was the number five Spock's beard of song of all time. I would argue it's number one. They said it's number five. I think we're splitting hairs there. But what they said was that The Great Nothing was the number two uh, you know, Spock's Beard song of all time. And I thought that was interesting because to have an album with two of your top five songs on it or thereabouts bookmarking these other kind of 
cool songs in the middle. Really, really epic, epic way to end this album. 27 minutes, six parts. Um, I'm not going to break down the entire song because I, quite frankly, wouldn't do it justice. I'll just say this. Epic, epic tune that has some spacey elements to it. It almost reminds me of Star One in a lot of ways, which is kind of interesting. Not as heavy, but just in terms of the way that, like, some of the organ patches are, are used. It's kind of really interesting. Um, then around, and I, I sent you a message to this effect earlier in the week, about eight minutes into this song, they go into this like funky section, which is almost red hot chili peppers meets toe jam and Earl from the Sega Genesis. <laughs> it is wacky, but it's so cool. And like, it's just something that they hadn't done on the rest of the album. And I think it was amazing and it really stands out. Um, about 12 minutes in, they get into a, a, an ode to the Beatles. There's no doubt about that in my mind. And I, what I love about this track is even though it's 27 minutes, it's not pretentious. It's accessible. And I love the stops and the starts. It's almost like a wave, the way it kind of comes at you. And then if you've never heard what prog rock is and you want to just dive in without your toes in the pool, but you want to just dive into the pool – this would be a fantastic song to do it on. It's just a really, uh, a really, really interesting song, and there's so much there to dissect. I, I wanted to see if anything jumped out for you. Um, Lucy in the sky with diamonds meets six degrees of inner turbulence. Like there you go. <laughs> um, especially like around that twelve minute mark, it, it sounds so much like I don't remember which part of six degrees, but it reminds me so much of just the way that the 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 construction of the vocals is it's very similar. I, I have to wonder if, if Mike Portnoy was listening to this and, and I mean, I don't know if he was, I'm sure he had some part in writing that, that epic six degrees, 42 minute song. Um, but this definitely reminded me a bit of that, but then there's just kind of, like you said, some of these like spacey kind of keyboard parts, like, you know, kind of, like Pink Floydish in in areas, Jethro Tullish in areas, um, Dream Theatery, Beatley. Um, it's kind of this really cool, just like amalgamation of all these different things. And again, like we said about the first track, they keep it interesting all the way through. It doesn't feel like you're listening to a song for almost a, a half hour, mostly because it's broken into parts. Um, I, I have it on my computer as one 27 minute track. I don't know if like it was broken up into tracks on other versions of the album and maybe people listen to it as multiple songs. Um, I know you that could, like six degrees can be that way. Um, yeah, you, but, you could, but it's, it's one track. And I think they, they, I think the intent was to listen to it as one, you know, epic, epic song, but it's discernible where the kind of the sections end and the next portion of the song continues. Um, I'm sure it was done that way on purpose. Yeah, um, kind of like gets into like this wild about six minutes to go, and it starts to get into like wild keys and just kind of like what's like we're gonna wrap this thing up, but it's gonna take about six minutes. So um, <laughs> fitting, fitting, very fitting. Yeah, longer um, than like mo like most of the tracks on this album, but um, and then it just has this really kind of just epic come down at the end. It's it's just this really uh, like meaty prog rock song with lots of different. Um, influences and elements, and it's just uh, it's just really enjoyable. I, I thought it was going to be a slog, and it really wasn't at all. Which I think, coming from a power metal guy, is probably the biggest compliment you can give it. Because I know that twenty seven minute songs are typically not your jam, but um, 
it is time for a song of the week. I have not yet heard your song of the week, and I'm curious to see what it is. Yeah, you know what? I'm I'm gonna go with uh, all on a Sunday. I, I just think I that it's a really just um, just a really uplifting song. It's it's the song I really knew best going into this, and I think it's still uh, it still holds holds uh, holds a place in my heart uh, just as strongly, if not more so now. And and uh, I think it goes. It's a nice kind of um, contrast to your song of the week at the end of the day, which is a lot more like kind of prog rock um like a prog rock suite whereas this is kind of more of a prog rock uh shortened suite if you will (laughs) well said um for me this is my favorite album by spock's beard and i don't know i don't know some of them as well as i should even though i've heard them all multiple times uh but there's just something about this album and maybe it's because it was my first but it just resonates with me and there's something about especially some of the lyrics on on some of these tracks that are just so um on point for me they just it's i just love it and and for me this is probably like i said it's my favorite album i'm gonna give it a nine and i know that that's kind of high but at the same time i just think that it's it, especially for where I was in my life, you know, going back to 2000 and the fact that I still listen to this album semi regularly, I think speaks volumes to it. Uh, I'm curious to see where you'd kind of place this because I know that nine is rarefied air, but the interesting thing for me is a lot of the albums that you kind of put as eight and above are often power metal or, or, or stuff like that. I don't know. I've ever heard you put a prog rock album above an eight. And I'm curious to see if this would get it. It does. Um, I, I give it an eight point two five. I thought it was. Uh, I just thought it was a really like just pleasant listening experience. It never felt long. It never felt boring. Um, and Prague can do that sometimes. Like it can. Like I said, it could be meandering. It could be wanky. Like it. It, it could be playing instruments wildly because you can, but not because it makes any musical sense. And I feel like, you, like you said, everything is meticulously placed, and, and everything is exists for a reason. I think, and I think that's a testament to the songwriting ability of the band. I guess Neil Morse did most of the songwriting at this point, but um, it was just a really pleasant experience, and I'm glad that I chose door number two. I'm I'm, I'm glad as well, and. The mystery door still remains that. In fact, a mystery, and we'll get to it at some point, I have no doubt. But uh, great choice. We can, call it, we can call it the forbidden door. I think that's um, copyright by New Japan Pro Wrestling. And <laughs> Asia, so. I, I love it, and I think it's I think it's very fitting. So um, before we talk about the album for next week, which came to us by request, and I, I look forward to that, just some quick news items that I think are worthy of, of note. Anthrax has announced tour dates for their 40th anniversary tour. Um, how many shows did you buy tickets to? Because I figured this would be all over, you know, all over it for you. Um, I am going to be following them around the country, uh, Pearl Jam style, in hopes that at one of the shows they play all of Among the Living uh, from start to finish. So that is my ultimate goal. Um I mean, I, I shouldn't talk too much crap because um, uh, my cousin's actually really good friends with Scott Ian and his wife, and she's and she tells me that he is. They both are the nicest people in the world, and and Andrew um, also said like maybe you should try some of the John Bush era albums, maybe. Um, that's what people <laughs> were saying. That's, that's, still, what... that's still my least favorite album we've done in in ninety. This is our ninety first episode, and I realize. 
some of the episodes are interviews, but um, I just couldn't wrap my head around it. It just, um, I, didn't, I didn't hate it. I don't want to point out I didn't hate it. I don't think I've hated anything we've talked about, but it just never, I just it couldn't get it over that hump of like a 6.0 for me. It just was like so, <laughs> I don't know. I, it's it's kind of a running joke on the, on the, between us at this point. But uh, well, yeah, um, I feel like, I feel like maybe seeing them live would actually give me a completely different appreciation for the band. I am so glad you said that the tour kicks off July 26th in Phoenix, Arizona. It ends August 28th in Philadelphia and mark your calendars, August 19th, they'll be in Rochester. So okay. let me know. Oh, that's right. I did see that. Um, let me know if we're going. That's all I'm going to say about that. Yeah, they're playing with um, – who are they playing with? Who's on the tour with them? They're, they're touring with uh, Black Label Society and Hatebreed, neither one of whom I care about. But August 19th is a Friday night. I'm just putting it out there. So oh, I'll, I'll – uh, yeah, I did see that. Um, where? Uh, what's the venue I'm looking? Oh, Main Street Armory. Um, I saw. I've only been there one time, but I saw uh, Queens of the Stone Age there um, with Knops and had a, a really good time. It's almost like this. It, it looks like a gigantic like um, high school gym, like where you would see like a like a high school basketball game or something. Uh. Um, it's it's an interesting venue, but. Uh, when I was living in the city, it was um, it was actually walkable. It was like a oh, like, awesome. like a ten like a fifteen twenty minute walk. Um, and I remember like it was dirt in the middle of the summer, so we just took a walk over to the venue and had a one too many Long Island iced teas because like literally the bar like your options were like beer or Long Island iced tea. Like that was pretty much your option. So I, I kind of went the the uh, get get to where you're going faster route. Um, so. Well, I suggest I doing the same thing and enjoying some uh, anthrax on on in August. I, I when I saw the Rochester date, I, I I would be lying if I didn't say I laughed to myself. So I throw that out there. Uh, another band that is has just announced a European tour and a single show in the U.S. is Merciful Fate. Obviously, uh, King Diamond's first. Uh, kind of foray into stardom they're playing psycho las vegas uh the festival on august 21st this is a band i don't know much about at all and i have a lot of the king diamond material and i don't quite understand why he's held in the regard he is i mean the vocals are very interesting to say the least but merciful fate is one of those bands that has been around forever they're apparently getting back together and i'm kind of curious to see what it is i might have to check out some of the material and then Hope that there's a, a New York date placed in there somewhere um, around the same time that Anthrax is touring, just because um, there, there's there's they, they they have kind of a cult following, if you will, and it's the first time in a while that they're playing live. Yeah, I mean, I probably know even less than you do, so yeah. Uh, so just worth noting, and then Iron Maiden, some Iron Maiden news: Bruce Dickinson back in the studio, uh, working on a solo album again. If you have not heard his solo material. There is some really good stuff there. I mean, arguably a lot better than some of the Maiden stuff that has come out over the last 20 years, although I've you know typically enjoyed it. Uh, but just whenever I hear Bruce Dickinson laying down vocals on something, I get excited. So I throw that out there. Yeah, um, very cool. I have to I definitely need to bone up on my uh, Bruce solo material. Um, just definitely that's another one of those areas that I'm just woefully uh, woefully inattentive to. Um, uh, and I just wanted to mention quickly, um, the band Volturian, um, released a new single, um, 
this week uh, from their upcoming album. The single is called uh, Bury Me. The album's called Red Dragon. So um, I'm sure uh, I'm sure that uh, Bobby Fish and and, uh, <laughs> and his tag team partner uh, Kyle O'Reilly will be picking up that album when it's released or suing them, one or the other. Um, coming out to it. Yeah, that would be cool. Um, and it's a cool, it's, it's definitely a cool lineup. Um, it's, uh, Federico Mondelli, who, um, is the guitar player for Frozen Crown and, and Nocturna, who we've talked about recently. Um, and that along with, uh, Federica Lana, who is, was the ex vocalist for Sleeping Romance. Um, this, it's just like a, a, a cool melodic symphonic, uh, kind of like there's some groove metal elements to it they're out of italy i thought their first album crimson that came out in 2020 was um was a a nice surprise um so um i'm looking forward to hearing this uh this follow-up album um i I just like i seem to whatever federico mondelli is is attached to i always end up liking because i i enjoyed that nocturna album quite a bit and, and i'm a big fan of frozen crown as well so um and federica has made appearances on on some frozen crown material and uh it's funny that they have a federico and a federica i guess maybe in italy that's not that uncommon um that's it's funny uh, it's uh yeah yeah i I look forward to hearing that as well um and then i guess that kind of brings us to to next week Uh, kind of an interesting request as far as i'm concerned because it's a band that's always been on my radar it's a band that i know quite a bit about but at the same time they're kind of forgotten in the grand scheme of things and this comes to us from dan bretherton listen to the listener of the show he wants us to talk about some ivanhoe a band that is still around today a progressive metal band but kind of i guess most known for their first three albums featuring andy frank on vocals probably most notably for his time in brainstorm where he still sings and Simforce, um, kind of another project of his, but in both of those bands having a very, very different style as compared to some of this mid nineties and early nineties, Ivanhoe material in many ways, Ivanhoe was kind of ahead of its time in terms of progressive metal, because what they were doing around 93, 94, 95, other bands were not doing, um, short of a dream theater. Like it just, they were kind of at the forefront of that classic progressive metal sound. Yeah. Um, I don't know a ton. I just remember Pat talking about them a lot when we were in high school and still, and still does. So, uh, like I said, next week we'll talk about symbols of time. It came out in February of 1995, uh, kind of a, uh, a more obscure album, if you will. And then it'll be your turn to pick something the following week as we, as we inch closer to Prague power, which is coming up the first week of June. Yeah, I have a feeling we'll talk about um, some of, some of the other bands that are are playing. I haven't quite figured out what I want to uh, go into next time, but uh, definitely getting um, getting into that kind of mode. Um, I uh, I get to have a little bit of a um, an early concert uh, experience to kind of get me amped up for the four day festival in Atlanta, and as I am. Uh, taking a little trip to Toronto to see Beast in Black open for Nightwish at the beginning of May. So um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that after uh, it takes place. But um, really looking forward to seeing that uh, that show. It's been 
it's been a while since I've seen Nightwish, and, and in all honesty, I'm, I, I think I'm making, I'm really, we're making the trip to see Beast in Black for the first time. Hopefully, uh, it'll make up for the fact that they're not playing at Prague Power as originally scheduled. Um, I'm sure they probably won't play for an hour like they would have at Prague Power, but um, I'll take what I can get. I am jealous, and I'm just going to leave it at that. I wanted to see the headline shows. I saw the set list. My God, did I want to go to those shows. Even the 45 minutes that they'll probably be playing opening for Nightwish, I'm jealous. You'll probably get eight or nine songs, and I'm very, very uh, jealous, as I said. I will see them. I'm sure it's only a matter of time, but I look forward to hearing your review because um, I don't think they can do anything wrong. I think the biggest problem you're going to have is that after they play their eight or nine or ten songs, you're going to say, I want... 10 more and you're not getting it. But, uh, you know, I, like I said, this tour seems to be a, a tremendous success for them. So I wish them nothing but the best. And I hope it just means that they'll come back and do another headlining round of shows, um, in the not so distant future. Well, I'm looking at Nightwish's set list. Uh, they've been playing in Finland, um, a couple, a couple days ago. And, Say, hate, love or hate the, the new album, this set list looks really, really good. Um, they play five tunes from Human Nature, but everything else is is from the back catalog. But they, but they don't, it's not like they just play the new album and they don't touch the old stuff. Let's just leave it at that. Has that yeah, fair to say? Yeah. And it, it's a nice mix of songs from, I mean, they don't skip over the, you know, Annette's time in the band. They play some songs from when Tari was in the band. It, it's a nice... Um, kind of celebration of their, I think their entire history. Um, but also with some focus on this new, the, the newest album, which they probably haven't had much of a chance to play live up up until this point. Even though the album ha- came out a, a, a good while ago. Yeah, I, I think every effort they made to tour was canceled or halted because of COVID and everything else. So this is. Uh, I know an exciting time for them, and I know that they're playing some monster-sized venues, not only here in the States, but also obviously in Finland. I mean like monster-sized venues, so good for them. I, I mean they deserve all the success, and um, having looked at this set list, I'm kicking myself for not seeing the show in New York because I was afraid they were going to literally play the entire new album, and that is not what they're doing, and now I am even more depressed that I'm not seeing them in Beast in Black. So I, I expect, I, I want to hear a full rundown, and I'd love to see some videos uh, when the time comes. Yeah, yeah, well, so, very soon. It's um, a week from Wednesday, I believe. So Awesome. Definitely looking forward to it. Well, on that note, let's uh, let's wrap it up there. Enjoy the uh, Spock's Beard chat. I look forward to talking about some Ivanhoe next week. And uh, I just uh, hope you enjoy the week, and I'll talk to you soon. All right. Sounds good, buddy. Take care. Take care.